Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we will hear from Dr. Iron Klaus on instruction, looking inward. Now here is Dr. Iron Klaus. Uh, the truth is I failed miserably at retirement. Um, and I want to say, hey, it's great to see you here this morning. Uh, you are some faithful folks. I have always wondered why it is we change time on Sunday. It's some diabolical plot of some sort. Um, as Rick said, I, I am, uh, I'm pleased to say that I'm a friend of Bill and Joyce. We have uh, go back too many years. And... Um, the thing with Bill is, when we go out to dinner, Bill and Joy and Lois and I go out to dinner a lot, he always has a job for me. He pays for dinner, and then he says, Byron, I have a job for you. Um, but uh, I, I thank him for allowing me to uh, grace his pulpit here this morning, and so pleased to be with you here at Portland Christian Center. So we continue the series today that uh, Pastor Bill has uh, focused on, and that is five virtues of a healthy church, and we're looking today at the virtue of instruction. And we're focused primarily on the Bible, and we want to look primarily at 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you have your Bible or your device, uh, why don't you look to chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. But before we begin that, I, I want to, to just look at what I call, first of all, a secular prophet. There are people in this world who make no claim to know anything about God or speak for God, but they have incredible insight that help us understand the times we live in. One of those in mid-20th century was a French literary uh, icon whose name was Edna St. Vincent Millay. And Edna St. Vincent Millay in 1939 wrote this. She said, upon this age, this age endowed with power to wake the moon with footsteps, upon this fitted age, in its dark hour, falls from the sky a meteoric shower of facts that lie unquestioned, uncombined. Wisdom enough to leech us of our ill is daily spun, but there exists no loom to weave it into fabric. I've always found that to be one of the most incredible descriptions of the time we live in. She writes in 1939, she is right on the eve of the beginning of a world war. Thirty years before Neil Armstrong sets foot on the moon, she alludes to the fact that we have the knowledge in this world to put a man on the moon. But she says, even before we called it the information age, she says that we have enough information to drown us but she says, we have no loom to weave it into fabric. We have no integration point. We have no authority by which to measure all of this information. So we're not alone in the reality of the world we live in, a reality of a world that is filled with information that seems not to have a loom to weave it into fabric, to make sense of it all. We have knowledge, but we don't have wisdom. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul describes a similar world. He says that we live in difficult times. He's describing his first 
century. And what's interesting is, I'll just read you some of these things he describes this first century situation in. He says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of men, having the appearance of godliness that denies the power thereof. It seems as if that would be a description of the 21st century. Paul is describing for us the world that he lived in, but not much has changed. He describes for us the fact of all this list, a litany of things that he talks about, which demonstrates that the world he lived in, and certainly the world we live in, is fixed upon itself. It is self-serving, and the results are obvious. He demonstrates that, in fact, those kinds of things have actually infiltrated the church. He said there are people who actually have allowed those things to influence their lives, and they're trying to live as if they haven't. He says also that there are people, leaders in fact, who have used their position and their authority to exploit people. And then he describes for us in verses 7 through 9 what I call ecclesiastical surfers. They are people who are looking for the newest novel thing, the newest thing that can sort of, you know, they're the quote-unquote uh, first responders. They are the people who, who somehow say, oh, there, I'm, I'm going to get that new thing. He calls them by their name. And he says largely the problem is their actions speak louder than words. They are in it for themselves. And after he describes all of these things, he says, you know what, you need to be realistic. The things that he has described here in these first few verses is the first century, but in truth, he is describing the human condition. And he says, you know what? Though these things may come and go, you're going to have to realize that if they follow Jesus, you are going to be persecuted for what you believe. So in these first 13 verses, what he describes for us is a situation that was true for his day and certainly descriptive of our day. And he says, you got to be realistic. This is going to be a difficult time, and you are going to be persecuted. But then he says, I want to give you a focal point. I want to give you something that you can hold on to. And we see in those verses that we're going to take a little bit more time on today, a description of what he says is important. And he says in 2 Corinthians 3.14, but as for you, okay, you're in the middle of difficult times, you're going to be persecuted, there is all sorts of stuff going on that is treacherous, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, and actually better translated, the messenger of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. So these sacred writings are not just supposed to be a celestial Google. They are, in fact, to make you wise to salvation. 
The reason for Scripture is to connect us to God. We are not to denigrate necessarily other major religions. Other major religions have their own sacred writings. But what Paul is saying here, we are not competing with those other great books of other major religions. What we are talking about here is a set of scriptures inspired by God, breathed by God, demonstrating what is most important to you, the eternal reality of the fact that Jesus Christ is your Savior. And you are to be wise unto that salvation. That, that clarity, that purpose for why the scriptures exist, Jesus said it himself. He said in Mark 10, 45, I have not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. So what he is describing here for us in this God-breathed word is the fact that he is settling the eternal question, which many people feel is, who am I? The eternal question is, whose am I? And here we find, in this set of scriptures, a demonstration of why we need to see the Bible as central. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. The clearest picture of God we've ever seen is in Jesus Christ, but the only authorized version of that redemptive saga is the wisdom unto salvation found in this book. Paul is clear. It's all of God. We cannot pick and choose things that we think, well, that doesn't fit anymore. People have been doing that for years. In fact, President Thomas Jefferson thought things like the blood, the crucifixion, the cross were just not for the day of enlightenment. He, he scissored them out of the Bible. Thomas Jefferson thought he could create a new Bible for an enlightened time, and he basically made it into an innocuous book. The fact is that at times... The Bible is hard to understand. The, the, the question that came in the first century, certainly, and in now is, is it really God-breathed? People will point to all kinds of misuse of the Bible. We see that misuse in our own country and in the tragedy of slavery, which was what's substantiated by Scripture. We see it in South Africa where apartheid was substantiated by Scripture. But Paul still says, the word is God-breathed. I remember back when I was a seminary president, and a number of presidents were invited out to L.A. to this wonderful event center. And there we heard a series of lectures by some really, really uh, powerful biblical scholars. And the subject was uh, the use and misuse of the Bible in politics. And it was, it was real interesting. And, and some, you know, interesting lectures by great biblical scholars. And I was sitting at a table, myself, this little Pentecostal boy, and, and uh, you know, some other seminaries, great seminaries, and a Jewish rabbi. And uh, we, were we were sort of talking about things and trying to get to know one another. And finally, this seminary, uh, seminary president of a, a fairly liberal seminary said, well, I, I just don't know about, you know, the Bible seems to just cause so much trouble, and it just... Sometimes it's almost more trouble than it's worth to preach. And all of a sudden, I hear this pounding on the table. And I see the Jewish rabbi. His beard is shaking. And he says, you mean to tell me when you stand in your pulpit, you don't believe that what you preach is the word of God? When I stand in the synagogue and I preach the Bible, for him the Old Testament, I believe it is the word of God. 
To which I said, amen, brother rabbi. And I think Paul would have said, a fellow rabbi, you got it, brother. The word of God is breathed by God. All scripture has God's imprint and ultimately has a focus of eternal consequence. That, that issue of the authority of the word of God can get a little bit dicey for some people. It, it has so many nuances, and, and granted it does. But I want to give you two images that I want to just burn into your heart this morning. The first is found in the Old Testament. It's found in Psalm 119.105, which says, and I learned it as a child, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it, it, does, it seems like a little innocuous sort of thing that you teach a four-year-old to say. But the truth is that when, when this psalm is written, there is no electricity. Do you realize how electricity changed civilization? That we move from a time in which we were dependent primarily on sun and moon as light. And now we can have light anywhere we want it because of electricity. The psalmist here is writing in a day where he knows what dark is at night. He knows what it is to stumble down a path with no light. And he says, your word is like a light in the middle of darkness. It guides my path. It shows me the edges where I'm going to fall off. It shows me the straight path. It shows me the direction to where I'm going. And then we see in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Keep this in mind. The word of God is like a light in the middle of darkness. It shows us danger. It shows us hope, getting to where we want to go. The word of God is like a vibrant force that has such power, it penetrates those sections of your life that you have never let God into. And when you read scripture, it has the authority to come in and slice and dice and remove all of the cobwebs and say, look, see, here's what it means for the light of my presence to penetrate those dark chambers in your life. The word is alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Paul says that it's profitable. And then he gives some things that it's profitable for. You can count on it when you teach he says it's profitable for teaching. It is the primary text of the church. It's the Bible. While we can feel inspired by all kinds of insights from, from great leaders and, 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 and powerful leaders and even other religions, the truth is that salvation in Christ Jesus only is recorded in the Bible. And if we do not regularly, systematically teach the Word of God at all levels in age-appropriate ways, we will live to see the consequences. In our day and age, it's called biblical illiteracy. That means you know the difference between the epistles and the apostles. But the truth is, we're not just talking about Bible facts. That's bad enough. It's the realization that God has an opinion about things. He has an opinion about the most important issues of our life. And the authority of God's word calls us to listen up 
Your life literally depends on it. St. Vincent Millay, in her quote, said, we have plenty of information. We have truth, small t, lowercase t. But the word of God is truth, uppercase t, capital T. And what we see here is, is that the Bible is the source of that truth, capital T. And all of those truths, lowercase t, that are helpful to us, need to run through the truth, capital T. The source of our authority to teach is the Bible. He says, it is profitable for reproof. Now, <clears throat> reproof usually means like we're finding fault in something, okay? It, we live in a world, a got, what I call a gotcha world. You know, we have people that are, that are constantly on the internet and they're trying to find something that people said 25 years ago that makes them canceled, okay? And that's the world we have. The problem is, is that in a 24-hour news cycle, the gotchas change and the gotchas get gotcha okay? <laughs> but the truth is, that what he's talking about here and what Paul is saying is it's profitable for reproof is that this is a description of an honest person who is trying to find the error of their ways and in so doing finds a path to hope. Lee Strobel was a Chicago Tribune columnist. He was a Pulitzer winning columnist and having grown up in Chicago I knew the name and he was an avowed atheist, an avowed atheist who simply uh, laughed at the idea of God's existence. But somehow he decided to get into uh, sort of a, a discovery route of trying to prove himself correct. And what he found out in that journey was that he'd been deluding himself about the existence of God and what that might mean for him. And here's what he says in his book, The Case for Christianity. He said, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an easier, happier life than when I was an atheist. I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus Christ really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by raising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could take. The word of God is profitable for reproof. It's also profitable for correction. There are lots of opinions in our culture about a lot of things and a lot of them seem quite rational and certainly people have passionate opinions about them. But what this is, what the Bible is, is a, it's profitable for correction, that is, it is an integration point. It is never self serving. It's never a matter of if I accumulate enough information about scripture, then I'll be right. This isn't about that. This is about making us better people. It, 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 more than better people, it empowers us to serve the redemptive purposes of Jesus Christ. The idea that the Bible is irrelevant because it's ancient, Paul says that is absolutely incorrect. What it does for us is it corrects us. It has, in a sense, an opportunity for us to understand what it is to live and follow Jesus Christ and to actually represent him fairly in this world. And he says then that all of this is to make us 
competent and equipped for every good work. Competent means simply you're capable of having a meaningful conversation about God. Okay? You're equipped for every good work. You're equipped to represent Jesus fairly. And this competency doesn't mean that you, you show people just how much you know about the Bible, because that information is ultimately not going to solve the question that people have in their lives. Only God can do that. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. If you think that you're going to persuade people into the kingdom, think again. You need the power of the Spirit to do that. And so Paul is saying here to be competent, to be equipped for every good work is important for you. Now, if there ever was a person who had biblical facts on his side and knew them literally backwards and forwards, it was Paul. Paul said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. And when he says he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, that means he could quote the first five books of the Old Testament and he could quote them backwards as well. Not only that, but he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. There were 713 specific guidelines that a Pharisee had to follow. And Paul said, I've kept them all, as if to say, bring on more. I'm a Pharisee. I can do it. But in Galatians 5, and we sang it today, who the Son sets free is free indeed. That's what he said. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Not to be bound by our capability to memorize Scripture, our capability to say, look what a good boy am I. No, we study the Bible, we affirm, because we want to represent him and his gospel to other people. When we read the Bible, it reads us. You can come to the Bible and say, now if I just had learned Greek, I would know what this really says. Well, I, I've learned the biblical languages. I've got all that. But the truth is that when you read the Bible, it reads you. Why? Because it's vibrant. It's alive. It's sharper than the two-edged sword. You think that you're going to bring your wisdom to the Bible and demonstrate it to the world. No, it will come at you and reveal all the pieces of your life that are worthless. But it will guide you to the one who has made you worthwhile and declared you to be so. We study that because the word is alive and sharper than the two-edged sword, we need to be competent and equipped for every good work. So the scripture is quite clear. The scripture basically speaks of itself and says that it is God-breathed. It's not only worthwhile, it's necessary. And if you're going to be competent, that is, you are going to be capable of representing Jesus fairly, you had better be its student. And more importantly, you had better let it speak to you. Now, the Bible isn't viewed that way by a lot of people. This, in, this, this letter here is not for the atheist first. It's for you, okay? It's for you who are living in difficult times, who are living with the potential of persecution. It's saying, now, listen up. This is what you need to base your life on. But others don't necessarily see it that way. However, I'm going to show you a quick video here. It's by a Las Vegas entertainer. His name is Penn Jillette. He's part of a 
you know, Penn and Teller, they're a big Las Vegas act. And he is an atheist to the core. But he gives a little synopsis of something happened to him. The name of this video is The Gift of a Bible. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done, big guy, probably about my age. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language. And, um, and then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of. Uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, liked your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. There's another secular prophet right there. You know, 
he, he says that, he, he, you know, he doesn't know enough about the Bible to know the Psalms is not in the New Testament, okay? But what an incredible statement about what it means to be competent to do the works of God. What he saw in that man who gave him the little Gideon Bible was a person who was competent, who was wanting to represent Jesus fairly. And the gift of the Bible to this Las Vegas entertainer, obviously it didn't initially change his life, but what a testimony to the authority of Scripture that it could so compel this man that he would go up to him and give him a Gideon Bible, which he probably took from the hotel, okay? (laughs) And give it to this Las Vegas entertainer. So I'm here to just remind you of certain things this morning, things that you probably already know. And that is that the loom is rooted in Jesus Christ. (laughs) St. Vincent Millay talked about this. I'm gonna ask the musicians to come if they're coming. She talked about this and I would argue that the loom she was looking for was Jesus Christ. And the only authoritative record of the story of redemption is the Bible. Skeptics abound. Alternatives are prolific. Our day ultimately is no different than Paul's. We have difficult times. We will have persecution. But the wisdom of God that makes you wise to salvation, that comes to you by the power of the Spirit, this book is central and authoritative on how you should live your life to represent him fairly. It is our only integration point. It has an eternal agenda. Its vibrancy is not dated. Its power will not only reveal our weaknesses and shortcomings, but will guide us and empower us to be transformed, to represent Jesus fairly in a world that is drowning, but all too often remains skeptical about there even being a loom to weave all the knowledge we have into wisdom. You know, I really didn't ever consider anything about the authority of God. I grew up in a pastor's home. Uh, My mom and dad were both ordained ministers and never knew who was gonna preach Sunday morning or Sunday night. But I remember my dad teaching me about the authority of the Word of God. It wasn't something super profound. But every Sunday before he preached, he'd have everybody stand and hold their Bible in their hand. And we'd sing this song, my mom pounding it on the piano. And that song carried words that have with me to this day. The Bible stands though the hills may tumble. It will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble. I will plant my feet on its firm foundation for the Bible stands. And it is three and four years old as I sang that song, little did I know that I was building in myself the foundation of what I spoke to you today. More than a simple song, uh, an exposition of a critical piece of the New Testament that demonstrates to us how important this word is today. As I said, it's not a celestial Google It is to make you wise unto salvation. 
It is to give you an understanding that there are things that are eternal that you cannot escape. So the musicians are going to lead us in a song as we finish up this morning. And as they sing that song, which is a reprise of one we sang earlier, I want you to think about these three things. When you are asked, do you believe in the Bible? What do you say? Ask yourself, did the Bible live in me today? Ask yourself, will I give the Bible time to speak to me today? So Lord Jesus, even as we come here this morning to the close of this service, and we're reminded in this time of reflection, I pray, O oh God, that you would, in a new way, make the Word of God a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. Make us wise unto salvation. Allow that Word to penetrate our lives deeply and powerfully to those crevices of our life where your Spirit is not penetrated, where the cobwebs of our self-centeredness are so obvious. I pray, O oh God, that it would penetrate those places. In Jesus' name. You, Jesus, for the blood of Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life. to glorious light. Sing thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the
praise your name. Why don't you stand with me as we close this morning? We take too little time. We sort of assume the authority of this word. But I go back to being three and four years old and waving my Bible in the hand as my dad sang that song and we all sang together. The hills may tumble, the earth may crumble, but the Bible stands. The onslaught of people who have rejected its authority is numerous. It's around us all over. But Paul tells us that you should recognize that it is God-breathed. And because of that, it is necessary for us to take it really seriously. If this church is going to be healthy, it is going to have to take its cues from the redemptive saga of Jesus Christ that is recorded faithfully in this book. Its stories are varied. It's a circuitous route. But we, from our inception, have been made to have fellowship with God. And we are marching to a time in which some from every tribe and every tongue and every nation will stand before God singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. I don't know about you, but I want to be there with brothers and sisters whose names I can't pronounce, whose languages I can't even fathom. I want to be there. That's what this word tells us is going to happen. I want to be part of that saga. And the only way that we do that is to be diligent, diligent about our care and study of this word that makes us wise unto salvation, competent. So Lord Jesus, I come to you now for Portland Christian Center. I come to you for this church in transition. I come to you, Lord, that you will not only will raise up the proper leadership, but you, O oh God, will place in this congregation a desire and a hunger for your word that is lamp unto our feet and light unto our path, that guides us in the middle of tragedy and persecution and difficulty. Oh God, I pray that you'd help us center ourselves in this God-breathed revelation. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com. Or join us for our live streams at the 9 or 11 a.m. at live.pcctoday.com.